Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I forgot to mention a name a while ago. Will, come on, come here. Will has been dealing with this thing in his, I don't know, from heart problems to whatever, and he's got another test Tuesday, getting ready to go to college. I want you just to lift your hands toward Will. Let's just have a time of prayer right now. Father, I thank you for Will. Thank you for saving his soul. Thank you, Lord, for the work that he's done in this church and in this ministry. As a young person, he means so much to the kingdom of God here at Woodland Hills. And I pray, Lord, that we're thankful for hospitals and doctors and medicine. But God, in this room, we know you're the great physician. Would you reach down and just divinely touch him? Take these pains away, clear this thing up, show doctors what they need to show, and through all of this, we're going to praise and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Will. Love you, brother. Amen. Well, we've got some tremendous young people in this church. You always hear about the bad ones. we got some bad ones, too, but we're going to try to, <laughs> we're going to, try to overlook them. Amen. No, I tell you, God is so good. You know, sometimes things are not what they seem like. You ever been there? I heard about this young man. He'd been married about six months. He'd come home from work one night, and his wife had pork chops with green beans and fat back and baked potatoes and all of that, cornbread. I mean, she was just fixing it up. And they sat down and ate, and she said, uh, won't be long, and there'll be three of us here. Woo, he just went berserk. He jumped up. He was dancing. He hugged her. He just, man, he was beside himself. And she said, yep, my mother's coming tomorrow for six months. <laughs> Sometimes things are not what they seem like. Amen. And Boy, it, here in Romans, this has been tough. Now, guys, this is, this is a tough set of scriptures right here. And it has been, it is. We still got a couple of more weeks of just some tough scriptures. If you ask me what was one of the hardest things to get across to people today about salvation and about different religions and Christianity and different denominations and all of that, I would try to explain to you one more time the greatest difference of all religions, is religions are trying to work their way into the favor of God. Now listen to them. Don't back up now. Listen. They're trying to work their way to be good enough to get into heaven. Christianity is based on the fact that God and the Lord has already done everything needed. And you can't work for it. You can't work for it. In fact, in this scripture here, we're going to look at Romans 3, 21 through 24. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wage is something you earn. If you could, let me, if you could work your way to heaven, somebody tell me why Jesus needed to die on the cross. I mean, I'll be honest with you as a man. I would have rather the Bible said you got to take care of three widows and build two houses and go to church and give $50 a week for the rest of your life. I say, I can do that. But the Bible says I've got to become as a little child and by faith trust Jesus. That's tough. 
That's tough. So the question is, how can I be right with God? How can a sinner, we just sang it a while ago, on the, oh, how marvelous, that he would take a sinner like me. How could he do that and save someone like me? Because you see, we've already gone through the first two chapters, and the first part of chapter three has just pretty well nailed all of us to the, to the wall. We don't have no hope. There's no hope. I mean, the Gentiles are gone, the Jews are gone, the religious are gone, the Pharisees are gone. There's no way anybody can be saved because we've been shown the righteousness of God. And none of us can come near the righteousness of God. We can't do it. Paul said in verse 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew, to the Greek, for it is in the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith the righteous man shall live by faith. Then he comes back to the theme mentioning the righteousness of God. And there's no way in this world that you or I or anybody in this building can come near the righteousness of God. Look with me, if you would, Romans 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Romans 3, 21, but now, I love that word, but, <laughs> but now, I mean, we, there's no way in the world we're going to get near God, but Paul says, but now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption. I love that word redemption. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Father, we ask you this morning, speak to our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit continue to deal with us. Thank you for the beautiful music we've heard, how it's been a time to, to worship you and to praise you. Thank you for Scott's wonderful song, Lord, for the glory of the Lord. We praise you and ask you, God, to continue to work in this room today, God. For those who are saved, Lord, speak to our hearts and show us, challenge us what we need to be doing. For those who've never met you as a personal Savior, may this be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've come under the inescapable condemnation of the first three chapters of the book of Romans. And then he says, but now, one of the greatest contrasts in the Bible, he uses this same uh, contrast later in Romans 6, verse 20, when he contrasts our past as slaves headed for death, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, uh, we, we are sanctified, and the outcome is eternal life. He mentions it over and over in his text in different letters as he writes. He loves these words, but now, but now. It was what we once was, but now, but now. Something's different. 
Lloyd-Jones, a theologian, says, it's no exaggeration to say of this section that it's one of the greatest and most important sections in the whole Scripture. You understand these verses here, and you obey them by the word of the Lord, and I will tell you, your salvation will be secure. It's, it's tremendous here. If, if salvation depends on our works, we face two impossible barriers. Number one, the righteousness and then number two, the glory of God. How can, how can one who has dishonored him enter his holy presence? If we're working on our work, I don't care what we do. How can we enter the holy, righteous presence of God when we know what we are as human beings? The great news here, the scripture says sinners can be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and his gracious sacrifice to redeem us. Let me give you three things here. Number one, we all need to be right with God because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's one reason we need to get right with God because every one of us. Now you'll say, well, I'm not as bad as some people. Well, that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, Paul writes there in verse 22, there is no distinction all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And he says it again because he knows how prone we are. The hymn writer said, prone to follow, Lord, I feel it. Oh, no, that's not what he said. Prone to obey, Lord, I feel it. No, he said prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Not a person in this building that doesn't fit that category. Every one of us are prone to wander and to separate ourselves from God. The main issue that we face this morning is how to be right with a righteous God. I mean, we can be right with each other because we know each other. You're just as bad as I am. I'm just as bad as you are. But when you put a holy and righteous God in there and you say, I want to be right with him, how are we going to do that? Well, usually when we talk about the gospel, and I'm all right with this, but usually we begin to talk about how good God is and how gracious God is. And that's, that's all wonderful. But Paul does not do that here. He talks about how wicked we are. He, he mentions righteousness in verse 21, 22, 25, 26. He mentions justify, verse 24, 26, and just in verse 26. All of these words come from the same root word. God's righteousness refers to his absolute holiness. So the question is, how can somebody like me, somebody like you, come into a right relationship with somebody like God who's holy and completely separated from sin. But now, <laughs> that's personal, but now, it refers to the contrast and salvation between the era of the law of Moses, the works, and the law of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. God's law is not able to justify us. Now, the main issue, how to be right with a righteous God, and then Pagans and religious people have both sinned and need to be right with God. See, most of us, I mean, come on, we'd make good Pharisees. Most of us in this building think we're doing pretty good compared to those walking around down on Highway 80. Yeah, we're all right. No, the biggest pagan in the world is just as lost as the biggest church member without Jesus sitting in this place today. 
Every one of us. There, he said in the verse, there is no distinction. He means between Jew and Gentile. The religious Jews would have agreed wholeheartedly if, if Paul would have said the Gentiles are under sin. And then he turns around in chapter 2 and said, now for us boys, we're under sin too. The essence of sin is to fall short of the glory of God. The pleasures of God revised and expanded uh, that John Piper wrote said, said that we were created to reflect God's glory. And when you look at Romans 1.23, we've already covered it. The Bible says that we have exchanged the glory of God. What for? We've exchanged it for the things of this world. See, we're, we're here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that separates us and comes between us and glorifying the Lord is wrong. It's sin. You see, we, the glory of God, that ought to be the treasure of our life. It ought to be the treasure of your life to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, so, well, preacher, my grandkids are my treasure. Well, you're wrong. You're, 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 you're living in rebellion against God. If you've been saved, your treasure, your passion, your love, your desire ought to be to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, now, preacher, we just came to have a little church and go home. Well, <clears throat> the essence of sin is preferring other things over Jesus. That's the essence of sin. So you call it yourself. Now, that's bad news. <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's a hint of good news. If God's law condemns us all as sinners, how can we get around it? I mean, is this thing going to end up where there's nobody up there but God and all of heaven? There's no other people up there because every one of us are in this same category. Well, second thing I see here is that sinners can be right with God apart from the law. Now, this is good. Now, apart, he said in verse 21, from the law of righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You see, the, the law can't put anybody into, into a right standing. The law is nothing more than a mirror. A mirror can't help you look. It shows just how you look. You look at that mirror all day long and say, that's not me. You're lying. That's you. It shows just how you look. I looked at the mirror this morning and said, Lord, good grief. I had 17 different spots burn off this week and another one dug out. And I said, Lord, you, you're going to, you know, man, I want to tell you, if you young people don't know how to shout, and don't know how to stomp your foot, you get yourself a good a dermatologist with one of them cans with one of them long straws on it like that. You old people think spraying your knees with WD-40 something. You wait till they hit your head with that. But I want to tell you, that mirror is not going to heal nobody. That law is not going to heal nobody. That law never was intended to bring you to a, a faithfulness in Christ. It was intended to show you what the standard was and to show you you didn't measure up. That's what the law is for. Is it in opposition to the law? No. The Bible says it's witnessed by the law and the prophets, which means all of the Old Testament. 
He reinforces it later on. We don't nullify the law through faith, and may it never be, he said. On us, he said, we establish the law. And he goes on, we'll look at that later in chapter 4 with the example of Abraham. Uh, so I want to tell you, I, uh, boy, <clears throat> the older I get, the more heresy I realize I preached. I, I'd love to destroy everything I've ever printed or spoke. <laughs> it, it would be a mistake if we thought that the Old Testament taught sinners could get right with God by keeping the law because they can't. The New Testament overthrows that, says we get right with God by faith. In the Old Testament, God credited his righteousness to sinners who by faith looked ahead to the promised Savior. We don't have to have the faith to look ahead to the promised Savior. We've already experienced the promised Savior. We, by faith, walk with the promised Savior based on what he's already done on Calvary. But it's not by works. Paul, if you want to paraphrase verse 20 through 24, he's simply saying trying to keep God's law is not going to get anybody into heaven. Now, let me give you the third thing here. All sinners can be right with God through his free grace by trusting in Jesus. Doesn't matter what you came in here with loaded with this morning. Now, I, I got to tell you the truth. The Bible says all have sinned, every one of us. It would be pointless for Paul to write about half, uh, about a way of being right with God that didn't apply to all sinners. See, Paul didn't say, well, if you're in the member of the Baptist church and you're singing in the choir and you're teaching a Sunday school class and you go on visitation and you're helping in benevolence and you're doing missions, well, then you, you've got a different way of being saved. I mean, you've done so much good. Let me tell you just how much the Lord appreciates you. That's not what he says. All. If you don't know what that word all means, it means all. It means there's not a one of us in this place. He says that went seeking for the Lord. The Lord came seeking for us. Not a one of us. That's why it's so important. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and your heart's beginning to thump and you're saying, I don't know what that is. Let me tell you what that is. That's the Holy Ghost of God. And he's trying to show you that you need to be saved. And he won't always do that. There'll come a time when he'll leave you alone. If you think that you can waltz in here any time and say, well, I'm going to be saved today. No, you're not. You're not going to be saved unless the Holy Spirit's drawing you. I don't care what kind of a show you put on. You say, well, we can have a big uh, show. Yeah, I can dress in leotards and swing out here over a swing too. I can impress you. But if the Holy Spirit's not calling you, you're not going to be saved. That's what he's saying here. There are four words here that they're very important. You know, if you don't think you're sick, there's no reason to go to the doctor. Most of us, especially men, we finally, after we've just coughed our heads off and choked up so bad, we finally say, I guess I ought to go to the doctor. Now, if you don't think you're sick, though, you, you, there's no need for you to go to the doctor. Well, if you don't think you're lost, if you don't think you're sorry, if you don't think you're no good scum of the earth, I wish I had a few more adjectives I could throw in there, but I'll hold off. We're all in that boat. 
All of us. Every one of us. But he mentions four words that are so precious. Justification, free grace, redemption, and faith. Now, let let me just touch on this just for a moment. To be justified means that God declares us righteous. He declares us. (laughs) Now, it does, oh, oh, I'm going to try to explain this because some of y'all don't listen to what I'm saying. Justification does not mean to make someone righteous. It means to declare someone righteous. When you're declared righteous, you're still the same old peace that you were before. You've been declared righteous, but you've not been made righteous. I don't have time to go through all of it. There's going to come a time when we hit that glorification stage when we will be righteous. But it's not going to happen here. It's a, a forensic or a legal term that means to obtain the verdict of acquittal. Uh, Hodges commentary said this, justification is pronouncing one to be just and treating him accordingly on the ground that the demands of the law have been satisfied concerning him. Hmm. The verb here in verse 24 is also passive. It is something that God does to us, not something that we do to ourselves. You cannot justify yourself. The process of becoming righteous in character and behavior follows the the act of God declaring us to be righteous. Mm. You can't, listen, it's not a a process. You say, well, I'm I'm working toward that preacher. Well, quit working toward it because it's not a process. It's a transaction. When you come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself, then he will justify you. He will right then. Calvary was a, not a process. It was a transaction. Jesus died on the cross. Then God justifies sinners freely by his grace. Verse 24, as a gift by his grace. That gift means freely. Uh, John 15, 25, uh, Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. You read that into verse 24 of Romans chapter 3, being justified without a cause. He's saying, now now a lot of people, boy, there's so many different dig-ins here. People say, well, I've become, Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that some may be saved. Totally out of context. Totally out of context. I was at a meeting Monday night, and there were some young people there I fooled around with over the last few years and have known. And one of them, I thought, was, gave me the greatest compliment that I've ever had. He said, uh, you know, Brother Charles, hanging around you is not as bad as everybody thought. <laughs> I'm telling you. He said, you know, you can be fun and have a good time, and, you know, it's not, and and, uh, and he says, you know, our, we've got other people. They, they try to wear a cap like we wear. Or they try to do music like we do. Or they, and I said, son, my way of loving you is to tell you the truth. 
You, you, let me just tell you right now, you don't need any more friends. Y'all got friends all over the place, especially when you got a girlfriend. I mean, that's way up there. Okay? You got friends, you got fellowships, there's things all over. What you need is somebody to tell you the truth that'll love you by telling you the truth. And I'm telling you, young people, if you think you can decide when you're going to get saved anytime you want to be saved, you're wrong. That's not the truth. The truth is, unless the Holy Spirit calls you, you can't even be saved. That's what the truth is. Now, it's God's will all come to life and no one perishes. That's what the will of God is. But don't put it, you know, on the spare burner and say, well, I'll do it whenever I want to. So I was covering Paul. People say, Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that some that may be saved. And we have the idea that Paul went and he fellowshiped with people and he drank with people and he cut up with people and so that he could reach some of them. That's what the world wants to do today. They want us to become, it's a fad in the uh, preachers now, go down to the bar, drink a, drink a beer with the guy down at the bar, you'll become like him and you'll be able to reach him. That's not what Paul said. That is not what Paul said. Paul is saying, I can go eat and drink and do anything I want to do. But because of those people, I have decided not to do something because I don't want to hinder my testimony. I don't want to ever come up to, to the end of my life and somebody say, well, I'd have been saved, but I saw old Paul do this. Paul said, I've got the freedom. I've been a Jew. I, I can do anything I want to do. It's not that he's trying to be like them. He's saying, I'm not going to eat meat, even if it's lawful for me to eat meat. I'm not going to the casino, even if it's lawful for me to go to the casino, because somebody may see me there, and it bring a, a scar on the kingdom of God, so I'm not going. That's what he's saying. Let's get off of that. I didn't hear very many amens. Let me share with you just a minute what justification is not. Justification is not forgiveness. It's more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of it. Uh, I guess maybe one of the best examples was when I was taking uh, English literature at ETBU. We had a teacher come there for the first semester. I hate literature. I hated it in high school. I hated it in college. And I'm not real fond of it even today. Because they give you this poem, and they say, what does that say to you? <laughs> well, it says to me just what the paper says it says. Oh, no, you've got to understand the deeper thought. You know? And so the first time I took English Lit, it was a new professor, and she just came, and I thought, well, she won't know everything. Maybe, you know, well, she set out to make a name for herself. I had an F. <laughs> I retook that thing again, and I thought, I'll use the same teacher because she already knows me. Made a D. <laughs> I took it the third time. It didn't. didn't <laughs> made a C. But this is the truth with my hand up. She said, I'm going to give you an A because you've done this three times. Hmm. I said, all right. Now, I want to tell you, if, if, if she had just took my F and canceled it out, I'd have been happy. 
I'd have went on. That would have been called forgiveness. But I want to tell you, when you find a teacher that takes that C and gives you an A, that's called justification. I, yeah, that's, that's called justification. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> uh, this church may not have called me had they known that I did not have the etiquette and all that I had uh, by that F on that thing. I mean, it's, it, let me give you the second thing. It's not only not forgiveness, it's not a pardon. You see, a pardon covers sins of the past. No judge has ever issued a pardon for the sins of the future. That's what justification does. When we got saved, our past sins were wiped out, our present sins are dealt with, and our future sins are dealt with. So justification is more than a pardon. And then thirdly, it's not a return to innocence. This is one of the heresies I'd preached before. When you get justified, it's just as if you'd never sinned. That's a hogwash. It's not returning to, in, to innocence. It, it's, it's important to know that it takes place as a transaction, not a process. I'm not gradually being justified in the hopes that one day I'll be fully justified. I'm telling you, when I came and admitted I was a sinner and could not save myself and invited Jesus to come into my life and take over, he justified me freely right then. Hmm. And then he adds one of his favorite words, by his grace. <laughs> that's uh, grace. That's showing God's favor to somebody that really deserves the wrath. Completely unmerited. Now, the word translated favor is a Greek word, grace, there. When you work, you don't get grace. You get wages. Amen? I mean, you work a job, you get paid for it, you get wages. He said the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. So when you're trying to work for your salvation, let me tell you, you're going to die. Because salvation is not paid for by wages. It's given freely by grace. That's what he says. So God justifies sinners through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. There was a little boy. And let me just remind you again. It wasn't but a couple of weeks ago that we put on a splendid exhibition <laughs> I, I, now, if you're, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. No, <laughs> I may have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. <laughs> just think you're, let's, let's expand that. And Jeremy did a marvelous job ex exhibitioning that, but think you're at the Grand Canyon and you got to jump across that Grand Canyon. I don't care how far you jump, you're not going to make it. I don't care how good you think you are, you're not going to make it. There's a little boy who built a boat. Loved that boat. This was before remote controls and everything. And he would go down to the river bank and, and he would 
let that little boat kind of go, had a piece of string on it, and he'd let it go out in the current, and then he'd bring it back and go out. He played with had more fun with that little boat. He just, it, was, it was his boat, beautiful boat, and he did a great job building it. One day that string got loose in that current, and there that boat went down the river. The little boy watched it go off, never to see it again. He thought, I'll never see it again. He walked through town one day about two months later, and there was his boat sitting in the window at the pawn shop. He walked in, and he told the man, he said, I built this boat. It's my boat. Can I have it? The man said, I'm sorry, son, but I bought this boat. Now, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you have it for what I paid for it. But you cannot have it unless you pay for it. Little boy went back, started doing jobs and everything. About four or five weeks later, he came back, and he popped the money out there on that counter for that boat. And as he, as he was walking out the, the store, the pawn shop dealer heard him say, Little boat, you're mine twice. I built you, I made you, and now I've bought you. Folks, that's what we are with Jesus. <laughs> he built us, he made us. We wandered in sin. Then Jesus came and bought our salvation. And we're able to come back to Jesus Christ. Heard that story about that little country lady that was uh, out in the woods. and She wasn't real intelligent, but she trusted Christ for her salvation. One of her skeptical friends said, Betty wanting to kind of make fun of her a little bit. She said, uh, is it true you've become one of the saints? And she said, yes, I have. Well, the skeptic said, are you now an expert in theology? And she said, oh, no, I'm no Bible scholar. I'm simply positive that God loves me enough that he'd rather go to hell than have me to go to hell. And the lady said, uh, was that all you know about it? Can't, can't you at least explain what being saved by grace means? That's, I mean, that's one of your central doctrines in this church, that we're saved by grace. Betty just kind of thought for a moment. She said, uh, I guess it's like this. Jesus stood in my shoes at Calvary, and now I'm standing in his. Now, you'd have to look a long way to find what grace means any better than that. Jesus paid a debt we could not pay. We owed it, but we couldn't pay it. God justifies sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. William Cowper, 220 years ago, was a man in England, and he faced depression all the time, severe depression. One point he became extremely distraught, and what he kept thinking was he's under the wrath of God. He's under the wrath of God. Now, let me tell you, if that's what's going through your mind here, uh, that's not God trying to show you he wants to give you wrath. That's the devil trying to show you that. I'm telling you, our God is one who says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the kind of God we've got. But he said his own testimony, he said, I flung myself into a chair by the window, and he saw, I saw the Bible on the table, I opened it, and my eyes fell on Romans 3.25. It says, whom God has made a propitiation through faith in his blood. 
And he said, then and there, I realized that Christ had died on Calvary for me, for my sins. He wrote many hymns that we still sing today. One of his favorite hymns he wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all, not some of them, lose all their guilty stains. My question to you this morning, has the blood of Jesus been covered over your life? You remember when the death angel was coming for the firstborn? The process to keep that death angel from coming to that home was to find a spotless lamb. And you didn't just take the lamb and kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. No, there was a procedure you went through. You brought that lamb into your home, and you let all the kids and the family get attached to that lamb. And then on the day of the atonement, you took that lamb out, and you split his throat. And then you took that blood, and you put it over the doorpost of your home. And you taught your children that because of the blood of that sacrificial lamb, the death angel would pass over your house and not come to visit us. We still do the same thing today, except we don't have to go out and look for a lamb. Jesus is our lamb. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, when he sees that blood over us, the death angel passes over. God's Son has been made the propitiation. He's turned away the wrath of God. And he's, <laughs> he's literally taken what was meant to be a judgment seat and turned it into a mercy seat for everyone who will come to Jesus. I plead with you this morning. If you've never come to Jesus, you don't have to join this church. That's irrelevant. Let me tell you, you don't need to join any church until you know you've had a relationship with Jesus. If you need a church home, I invite you to come. You need to come to these altars and pray. Man, I was reminiscing in some old notes of old churches growing up. And man, in the minutes, the people were all at the altar praying and weeping and mourning and, and, and giving God thanks. It was, man, that's what these altars are for here. They're for us. Now, I, I know a lot of people don't believe that. There's a lot of people that believe that church ought to be seeker-sensitive. We ought to forget about the saved people and ought to think nothing of the lost. That's not my philosophy at Woodland Hills. This is a time when we've come to worship the Lord. This is a time we've come to hear from God. And if you're here this morning and you need to be saved, it's a great time for you to be saved. But I'll tell you, this is a place where we pump up and get ready to go out in the world for the next week. Father, thank you today for your love and mercy. I ask you, Lord Jesus, those who are in this room today that are lost without you, God, today would you save their souls. 
I, I know, Lord, they're saying that the crowd's so big, blah. Lord, let them get over all of that. Put within their heart a desire to come and be saved right now. Publicly profess that salvation. Lord, for those that need to make other decisions, would you have your way right now in every situation? We're going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. It's all for your glory. Everything we've done is for the glory of Jesus and will continue to be. So, Lord, have your sweet way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?